Let us open up to the Word of God. 1 Kings chapter 19. Please open up in your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. By the way, uh, you can use the Bibles in the pews. Uh, we're, this is the, we're the only people who are here uh, 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 throughout the week, and we do that on purpose. That way, uh, we can touch the, the Psalters and the hymn books and the Bibles, and that virus will die even if it's here. Lord willing, it's not. So have no fear. Open up in your Bibles. If you, if you didn't bring yours, uh, pull one out of the pew. 1 Kings 19. If you're at home, I will uh, uh, remind you yet again uh, that uh, you should open up the Word of God. It'll be on the screen, but opening it up is better. And if you need a Bible, you just reach out to me. Call the church office or whatever. We'll send you a Bible. And so you just let me know, and we'll take care of you. Uh, while you're opening up to 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be in verses 19 through 21. I have uh, two questions. Two questions for us by way of introduction. How does God work in this world? That's the first question. What does it mean for us? All right? I've already kind of started it with the children's message, right? How's God work in this world? What does it mean for us? You know, those are big questions, right? Uh, they're very big, and sometimes the answer can kind of disappoint us. Uh, I, I don't know what it is if it's uh, that we're... Well, I'm not sure if, if we're just drawn to uh, the special effect nature of fire in the sky and of earthquakes and of uh, writing in the clouds and of, uh, of handwriting on the wall and these very intense moments where you see this, uh, this extraordinary event where God has revealed himself. But uh, we're drawn to that, but, but typically that is not how God operates. Uh, throughout history, uh, God has actually proven uh, that he uh, uh, moves in this world in a very ordinary fashion. Uh, one that can sometimes, for some reason, turn off our sinful uh, uh, inclinations. But uh, it, it's very important for us to see that. And, and we see it here this morning. And we're going to dive into that. So keep those questions in your mind. How, how does God work in this world? How's he do it? And what does it mean for us? Here's the main point. Because of God, our actions and lives have extraordinary meaning. All right? Because of God, our ordinary actions and lives, they have extraordinary meaning. All right? Uh, in the seemingly non-miracle, we see miraculousness. Let me pray, and then we're going to read God's word and dive into that statement. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, would you bless the reading of this word? Would you convict us? Would you comfort us? Reveal yourself. Move in us. Make us different. Make us better. And Lord, we know that only you can do it, and this is the way you do it. And so, Lord, make this reading powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. This is 1 Kings 19, starting with verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. He was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? 
And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Remember, because of God, ordinary actions and lives, our ordinary actions and lives have extraordinary meaning. We see that in today's Bible passage in three points. The first, Elisha is just a farmer. Second, we see that Elisha gets just a call, just a job, maybe we might say. And third, we see Elisha just serving. Okay? Uh, Hear it well. Just a farmer, just a call, and just service. Very ordinary. And first, unspectacularly, we see Elisha, who is just a farmer. Verse 19. Think about this, all right? This is verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha. This is Elijah departing from the mountain of God, okay? Found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He's with the 12. So this is a farmer, and it's not even a rich farmer. He's actually having to break a little bit of sweat moving with the oxen, okay? He is working with the beasts, all right? So not only is he a farmer, but he is a real farmer, right? Not one where, you know, maybe you see on TV, and they say, next up in line, we see a farmer. And, and you see something, and it's like the guy has like 35,000 big, giant, perfectly green John Deere tractors going in one field, and you're like, Is that really what farming's like? The answer is no. That's not what farming is like. That's a TV show, okay? And so what we see here is Elisha, just a farmer. But we have to ask the question, who is this guy going to be? Because if you recall our context, for instance, if you were with us last Sunday, we saw God speaking a large, working, and unstoppable plan. Remember that? It's large, and it's working, and it's unstoppable. And Elisha is at the center of it. Go find Elisha. He will be a killer of kings. Enemies of God will fall before his sword as he proclaims the word of God mightily. That's who Elisha is. And so Elijah goes to get him, and he's pushing with the 12th oxen, right? Uh, You know, what, what did we expect? What did we expect to find? Where do you expect to find people who are great? You know, what... Was he supposed to be kind of in this meditative state, maybe legs crossed, arms out, uh, in the temple of God, floating, or something like that? You know, this, this prophet coming after Elijah, in power, we're going to see something magnificent when we go get him. You know, perhaps he's of a, of a very noble and righteous family, you know, maybe a, a priest of priests or something like that. It's just a farmer. I mean, you go and see him and you think, man, is, is this it? Is this, is this who I'm, are you Elisha, really? Yeah, this happens all the time in Scripture. We're going to see, I think, the most notorious, right? Jesus himself, and we'll see that at the end today. But it happens elsewhere as well. Hey, um, I'm a prophet Samuel. I'm here to anoint the next king. You have any sons, Jesse? Oh, I've got some sons right? The first son is giant, you know, that's the king. No, 
No, no. Do you have any more sons? Oh, well, there's this one. He's kind of the runt of the family. He's out shepherding the sheep. David, bring him to me, right? God doesn't look on the outward appearances, right? But he looks at the heart to see who's following after him. This is happening. And so we see just the farmer, Elisha, who has become someone in God's plan, right? Uh, this, is, this is just a farmer, just like us as we begin to think through who we are. And this is where we see, surprisingly, just a call. Verse 20, it's our second point. So as we see verse 19 and we begin to see that Elisha is, is uh, uh, somebody ordinary, it, it should cause us to pause but, but then it continues, and, and we begin like a snowball rolling downhill to gain momentum and to gain strength. And so, surprisingly, we see this call in verse 20. And the question that I have for you is, who requires what of you? Let me say it again. Who requires what of you? Elijah requires something of Elisha here. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62. You might be familiar with it. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me read verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Elijah said to him, go back again. What have I done to you? It's almost the exact opposite, right? Elijah says something exactly opposite of what the Lord Jesus says. What do we do with that? What does this mean? I go back to the question. Who requires what of you? Elijah knows that he is not God, but merely a servant of God. Now, who or what do you serve? What do they require? And do they know that they are not your God? We all have ordinary calls in life. Elisha, he's just a farmer. Elijah comes by throws the cloak over him, and all of a sudden, we see a different call, right? Elisha, the farmer, is now Elisha, the servant of God particular, right? The prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God. But even so, it's quite ordinary. Nothing in this story is extraordinary. It's ordinary workings. As God says, go get them. And Elijah says, okay, right? And this is where we see it play out. Because as Elijah is calling Elisha, he has a question. Can I go back real quick and just say bye? I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But can I say bye? I'm not God. Do what you got to do. I mean, I put my cloak on you because God told me to get you. But God didn't tell me to just drag you away or that you were going to turn to salt if you look back or something like that. You go. Do what you need to do, Elisha. Tie up the loose ends. That's some weird boss talk right there, right? Your bosses say that? Are you a boss? And do you say that to your people? 
Have you assumed God talk? You know, Jesus says something very different than what Elijah does. Because Jesus is God. Even though he didn't count his equality with God a thing to be grasped, those followers of Jesus were going after him in a God way. Elijah's calling this Elisha, this farmer, to an ordinary call. Come, be with me and serve God. We all have ordinary calls in our life. Pastor, it's ordinary. It's not extraordinary. Pastor, it's not extraordinary. Let me say it again. Pastor, not extraordinary. Nurse, doctor, lawyer, teacher, school, business, sales, food, whatever it is, nature, outside, inside, learning, no school, right? Whatever it is, none of it is extraordinary. Astronaut, not extraordinary. Have you, have you ever seen what you got to do to be an astronaut? It's actually quite ordinary. It looks just like you got to do for everything else. Uh, to be a pilot, go into the military. Uh, you know, to get into the military, how many pull-ups can you do? Huh? Right? Y'all know that, you know, when you do, try to get into the military, how, how many pull-ups can you do? Can you do sit-ups? Can you pass a physical fitness test? You know, it seems so ordinary. You know, don't you need me to like G.I. Joe or something? No, we just need to make sure you won't get out of breath when you run a mile. Come on now. You know, it's, it's this moment, right, where we begin to see that in life there are all of these ordinary calls, just a farmer, just even a preacher, a prophet. We begin to see that God is working in all of these things, these ordinary calls. They, they lead us into fulfilling a deeper set call of serving and glorifying God wherever we find ourselves. And here's the problem. It comes when the otherworldly call to serve God, the true extraordinary one, gets mixed with the ordinary. What we choose to do with our lives. Who is God in your life? Are you extraordinary because you are a teacher? Or are you extraordinary because you are a teacher who follows the Lord Jesus and has an opportunity that I don't have and will never have, which is upwards of eight hours with a myriad number of children per day, five days a week, all the way through, even if it's virtual. I will never have that opportunity. Teachers do. Nursing, doctors, healthcare. When you're in crisis, what do you think about? In your physical crisis, got to go to the hospital. What are you thinking about? You're open. You're praying, Lord, please, if it's my daddy, if it's my aunt, if it's my, my child, God forbid, Lord, please, please, please. And a nurse walks into the room or a doctor walks into the room or some other health professional walks into the room. What an opportunity. The other stuff is ordinary. Memorize as many medicines as you can. I'm going to give you a test. If you pass, you can be a pharmacist, right? <laughs> uh, you talk to a pharmacist. Do you know any pharmacists? It's brutal. The schooling is so intense because you can't mess up pills, right? It's really, really intense. But then when they talk about it, they say, yeah, just had to memorize a whole lot of stuff. Like, you know, this was like what I had to do. And then there's a lot of policies and procedures around it. 
It's quite ordinary. Doctors will say the same thing. Teachers will say the same thing. Pastors will say the same thing. There's a call that God leads you to, a moment where Elijah casts the cloak, right? And yet, as we begin to see, the extraordinariness in all of this reveals itself as we are following after God. If we let ourselves be sucked into the moment of identification with our profession or where we are, our friend group, our family, trouble comes next. But let's save that. Let's save that and we'll come back to it. There's a third point, a third point, because we see this just a farmer who just has a call, this cloak, and it, it's important, it's huge in the, in the plan of God, but Elijah, as you saw his words, yeah, go do what you got to do, man. Uh, Elisha does it, right? And we see that. Ordinary service. Uh, and and we'll, we'll get back to the party, but uh, here, here's a question for y'all as you think about what people do, what doctors do, what prophets in the Bible do, uh, what Jesus does right? What happens when you don't see them? What are they doing? What was Elijah and Elisha like outside of the recording uh, parts of Scripture? What was Elijah doing when he was walking to Elisha's farm? What was Jesus like walking down the roads preaching the gospel when miracles weren't being recorded, when uh, intense proclamations of the word weren't being recorded? What am I like? What are you like? Have you ever thought about that? The ordinariness of it all. You know, this happens with Jesus a couple times. The Pharisees ask for a sign. Maybe you're familiar with this part of the New Testament and the Gospels. The Pharisees ask Jesus for a sign. He has kind of a specific answer. But, but why would they ask? Isn't Jesus always doing signs? Don't they just need to follow him around? That's what we think, right, when we see the Scriptures. Uh, Jesus, just for three years, nonstop, every second of the day, is like shooting fire out of one hand and ice out of the other, moving through, miracle, kind of like walking, you know, making fireworks or something. That's, that's, not, that's not how it was. Jesus was, was living this ordinary life as a human, right? That's, he came to earth, and he did this thing, and, and it was quite ordinary. That's what makes it so miraculous as he was following God in a perfect way. It, it's just ordinary. Even Jesus, with all his recorded miracles, lived quite the ordinary life, albeit perfect, therefore extraordinary in our regards. But as you think about this, it begins to play out in all these different ways. You know, uh, one for us, a great example, you know, our church service. What's the difference between Centennial Associate Reformed Presbyterian and maybe another church with a different worship service? Why do we have what many call uh, a, a rather, um, uh, this is the world speaking, not me, rather bland service, right? And by that I mean no smoke machines, no strobe lights. Uh, I'm wearing a robe. And just so you know, I wear a robe not because we feel like um, when I put on the robe I become extra super holy or something like that. I wear a robe so y'all aren't looking at my clothes all the time. That's literally why we do it. It's, it's, not, it's not some secret. Uh, this is literally a part of what, what it is that we believe, that, that it's so ordinary when we worship the Lord that we shouldn't be seeking to add pieces like, I wonder what color tie Jeremiah... Is that a full Windsor today? He was doing a half Windsor the other day. What a, 
Are those new pants? You know, what about that shirt? What, that belt looks like it needs to, you know, be changed. He needs a new belt. See, Matt, you know, all of these different parts of, of what it is that we do. The singing of the psalms, it's ordinary. Our hymns, they aren't uh, um, a super intense uh, solo pieces where one person is venerated, where Judy or where Lynn, where they are venerated, risen up in this extraordinary way. It's a moment where we lift praise unto God. When we pray, we pray with ordinary words. When I preach, I preach with ordinary words, albeit the miraculous ones of God. Have you ever thought about that? No fuss, no muss, no bells, no whistles, just service. And it happens like that for Christians all over the place. What's your, what's your home life like? You know, for a Christian, you should say, ah, oh, pretty ordinary. <laughs> that, that's it, right? That's the moment as we begin to look and work through these things. Have you considered, though, what it means to serve God where you are? What it means in the moment to see that your ordinariness doesn't mean not unique and doesn't mean opportunity-less, right? And I was mentioning that before. Uh, I'm looking at Rex. Sorry, Rex, I'm pointing you out. Lawyer, right? You have different people that you talk to than I do. I just don't know them. You see a whole lot of other people, and I see a whole lot of other people, right? We're different. We're separate in that way, even though we join together in the Lord here in this moment. And so as we consider our ordinary movements of life, what are the moments that we have that are unique to us to begin to share the gospel of Jesus. Speaking of that, let me conclude with just a couple applications. Are you ready and prepared for the cloak to be cast upon you? Elijah casts a cloak. What does that even mean? What would you do if I cast my robe upon you? You'd be like, what? Get it. Ah, sick. You know, ah, you know, COVID, right? You know, we would freak, you know, but, but think about that. You know, the boom, you know, I cast the cloak. The, the reality of that is come, follow me. God has something for you. Elijah would have been very well known. Uh, he was a well known figure. He looked well known, right? He's got the honey, the grasshoppers, he's got the vest, he's got everything, right? Uh, you know Elijah from a mile away. If he popped in the door, you'd know Elijah right now, okay? And so we see this moment where he comes and puts the cloak on and he's saying, Hey, come, to, come do something different. Are you prepared for that? Are you so wrapped into who you are right now that you believe truly that God couldn't call you to something else? Be very careful if that's the case. Because God puts the cloak on us 24-7. Our lives change in the blink of an eye, be it by tragedy or be it by joy, right? It could be something super good or something super bad or something in between where all of a sudden our lives look nothing like they did before. And if we are so wrapped into ourselves, if Elisha was so wrapped into his farming that he, he shed that cloak and he said, get out of here, get off my lawn, right? If he had closed his heart to the Lord and his working, the ordinariness of Elisha's farming would have been his own condemnation. We, as the people of God, must be wary of falling into the trap of thinking that the ordinary things that we do can't be replaced with other things. I had a seminary professor, and 
uh, we were going over the passage, uh, the apostles uh, around the table, the disciples, and Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, right? Speaking of Judas, and of course the disciples, is it I, Lord? Is it I? They all said, is it I? And uh, as we were talking, uh, one of the students, uh, it, I will neither confirm nor deny that it was myself, said, I would never, ever betray the Lord like Judas did. Maybe Peter. I might be like Peter, but never Judas. Never. And the seminary professor said, be very careful. Do you think that you are in control of such things? Do you think that you're God? And the answer is no. We should not think that way. And we must be prepared for the Lord to cast the cloak upon us and to lead us in a different direction. We must be flexible people in that way because God is the one in control and not us. That's a good application, one that we see here, one that we might have to work through a little bit. I know, at least for myself, I can fall into even a silly thing like routine. Fall into a routine, that's all good until it's not, right? Maybe you resonate if you know what I mean. Okay, number two, and there's just three applications, don't worry, we're wrapping it up. Have you mixed your ordinary call with your extraordinary one? I've been dancing around this uh, uh, the whole time, but this could play out in a couple ways, and I hope that it might be helpful for you today. Have you mixed your ordinary call with your extraordinary one? Are you so consumed by work, friends, or family that God has become secondary to you rather than primary? Where is your identity? What do people know you as? There's a American philosopher by the name of Nicholas Walterstorff, uh, he's known for a lot of things, but one of the things he's most known for is the death of his 25-year-old son. His son went rock climbing, didn't come home. Uh, one of the greatest tragedies that came within that is that uh, uh, he just, uh, this philosopher, this thinker, this Christian, couldn't justify why this would happen, and so he spent a whole book length of writing and of reading and of study and of prayer to see what in the world the Lord was doing. I encourage you to read this, Lament for a Son, Nicholas Walterstorff. It's a pretty good book, but as, as, you, uh, as you read it, you'll see uh, he uses this illustration. He says that what he began to realize was that he was identifying himself in the wrong way. He said that he was known for his books. He was known for his academia, his all his stuff, right? And now, if you Googled him, and if you see this, if he's introduced, they say, how do you want to be introduced? What books do you want us to use? Do you want us to use your most recent publication? Do you want us to use all of your accolades or maybe just your PhD? What would you like? So I would like none of that. I would like for you to say, that I am a father. Introduce me as a father. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if the, for instance, uh, just we were praying for him, if the president of the United States walked into the room, introducing Donald J. Trump father. See, but you meant to say president, you forgot. No, 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 I don't want to be identified in that. I want you to know I'm a father, right? Now, for us, do you want to be known as blank, whatever your profession is, or cool, if you're at school, right? I want to be cool. I want to be in this group. I want to be a part of these people. I want to be on the team. I want to be the sports person, guy or gal. I want to be in drama. I want to be whatever. Or do you want to be identified as a follower of Jesus? Who in your life knows you're a follower of Jesus? Who knows? At work. 
at school. Who knows that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? What would you have a party for? Elisha has a party because he's called to serve God. What would you have a party for? It's very interesting when you think about it. It's just a moment. It's just a moment of application. Uh, There's another application for mixing our ordinary calls and our extraordinary ones, and this one might be very helpful. Uh, This could play out uh, uh, in a number of different ways, but do you have trouble making decisions in your life? Do you have trouble making decisions? And I'm not talking about where to eat tonight. I'm not talking about, like, what clothes should I wear tomorrow morning or something like that, okay? I'm talking about the big ones. Where should I go to college? What should I do with my life? Uh, What's the next step? This has ended. What do I do now? Um, uh, A lot of that sometimes can play with a transition of jobs or in retirement or when children exit the scene as they go maybe to college or go off on their own. Uh, These things happen. What do I do? Do you have trouble with making decisions? Are you in one right now? Statistically speaking, yes, there's multiple of you who are trying to make a life-altering or changing decision right now. Okay, you should see it. It's quite remarkable to see some of these statistics of kind of how they lay it out and and a number of people. And you see uh, that there's a lot of stuff going on in individuals lives at any given time. And so as you think about that, how do you make the decision when you have equated all of who you are into an extraordinary event? You think and, and have accidentally, not maliciously, put everything into vast import on, for instance, I'll use students because they're easy, college. What college do I go to? Oh, what college do I go to, right? Maybe if you're a parent or a grandparent, or if you've just gone through this, or if you're going through it, it's very important. It's an important decision. But at the end of the day, as we recognize that this is actually quite ordinary, and it's not extraordinary, it's just a college, It's just the next step. It's just a moment. You begin to say, well, I don't want to go to Alaska. Cool. Check Alaska off. Well, I don't want to go to Canada either. Okay. Too cold. What's next? Well, I actually kind of want to stay in state. I want to be in South Carolina. Okay. That actually narrows it down pretty good. Now we've got, now now we're getting somewhere. Well, you know, now that I'm thinking about South Carolina, I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. Wow. That's really cool. So you want to do this. It actually becomes ordinary. The same is true for jobs. The same is true for health. The same is true for the next steps on the majority of matters that we find ourselves in that are simply ordinary. But in our minds, on accident, not maliciously usually, we equate things into an extraordinary status where we live and die on the decision. And so we freeze. That is not the call of the Christian. We have an answer to such things. Think on it. It's not, a, it's not a silver bullet. doesn't mean the decision is just easy as yes or no. I'm not saying that. And please don't think I am. But there's a moment that even something like this becomes quite ordinary. Where we see, praise be to God, the cloak has been cast. Uh, my, my heart is willing. I see God's leading. I'm going to not only kill the oxen, sacrificing them, by the way, unto the Lord. I'm going to also boil the yoke. That's not for seasoning, okay? Uh, probably be semi-gross, uh, not as bad since they boiled it, but it's a sacrifice. It's a total giving up of what he was. And if you've ever tried to ask a farmer to give up his land, you might know how serious of a call it is here. 
how big of a change it is. I think of my father-in-law. I don't know. I don't know if he'd ever sell the land. I don't know if you'd give him, you know, whole whole world. I don't think he would, just because that's where his life is, his whole family. But if God called him to, he's also a righteous enough man that I know what he would do. Listen, if you have trouble making decisions, believe it or not, pray through 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. Now, finally, uh, these things are ordinary but we see and begin to see extraordinary meaning in it, okay? Let's bring it full circle and finish it off. Remember, because of God, our ordinary actions and lives have extraordinary meaning. We see it here with Elisha, but Elisha is just a sign, just a revelation for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is to come. We see by the Holy Spirit what Elijah and what Elisha were to be about in this ordinary moment, this just a farmer, this just a cloak, this just a party, this just service, right? Look at verse 21. He arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. (laughs) How unspectacular. He just went and did it. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus did for you. The Lord Jesus has everything in heaven. He is God. He is seated on a throne with a crown of crowns and he reigns and rules supreme over all things. And in the moment, he said, I will give all those things up and I'll come and be born where the cows are. And not only will I be born in the cows are, I'll just live an ordinary life. You couldn't find someone more ordinary than the Lord Jesus on earth. The Puritans called it the humiliation of Jesus because he was humiliated on earth because he deserved all the God stuff because Jesus is God. But he didn't grasp those things and so now he's humiliated as he lives this ordinary life like humanity and he lives this life because he is a human he's human and he's god and now as he lives this perfect life he doesn't just end it out and live on to his ripe old age he goes right to the cross and he sacrifices himself for you and for me it is so ordinary when you think through it it's almost incredible It's almost miraculous when you think about the ordinariness of your Lord and Savior and King on earth who lives a life and dies a death and because of his perfection rises again. It's why we sing. It's why we pray. It's why we praise because we see salvation given to us in the most ordinary of ways and it defines us in our ordinary lives. It gives us contentment when all we want are bells and whistles and it reveals a peace that we can hold fast to all of our days, not just in this world, but in the world to come in eternity as we praise and worship God in peace and in pleasantness because of what he has done. But it's just so ordinary. It's just centennial, y'all. But it's not just God. It's the God of the universe who has looked at just centennial. Think on these things today. Think on them for your lives. Let them sink in and let yourself be changed by the Holy Spirit. It is an ordinary thing, even in the miraculousness of it. That's how God works. If you're wondering, that's how God works. How does he work in the world? What does it mean for us? He works in the world in a very ordinary way. It's almost imperceptible to the eye. It's so ordinary. It's so natural. What does it mean for us? 
it means that he's changing you even if you can't see it. Hold fast to the word and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the word. Thank you. It seems, it just doesn't make sense why he would look at us. Because we're just people in Colombia. And yet, Lord, you do because you love us with a love that we can only understand because you've given us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So God, now as we raise our voices and praise to you, let us do it with full truth in our hearts and in our minds because of our confession of faith in the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.